I'm your host, Brad Alvarez, and welcome to the Aging Services Podcast. Last week, I explored the context of senior housing in India, and we're keeping up with the international for this first wave of episodes. Today, I'm exploring Chinese senior housing. I'll start by highlighting the unique demographic situation before delving into whether their senior housing market is characterized by oversupply or undersupply. Overall, the goal is to understand underlying causes that are shaping the actions of domestic and foreign investors. With that said, let's dive right in. China is fascinating to study in the context of aging because few other countries even approach the rate at which they are aging. You only need to glance at their population pyramid to detect the major issue on the horizon. The Chinese are going to have a lot of elderly needing care and not enough people to provide that care. Besides lacking enough caregivers, this means they have less workers generally to contribute to pension and social welfare models. According to the World Bank, in 2015, 10.5% of the Chinese population was older than 65. By 2050, this will triple with 35.6% being over 60 and 8.9% being 80 and over. This is occurring because longevity increased while fertility rates fell below replacement level. Family level in China has long centered around filial piety, which largely consists of respect, unconditional support for parents, and revering all elders and ancestors. For generations, parents could expect their sons to provide for them in old age. However, controlled population growth through the one-child policy complicated this expectation due to what's referred to as the generation squeeze or the one-two-four dilemma. One man could potentially have to support himself, two parents, and four grandparents. The lack of support for the elderly is augmented by China's bachelor bond, as the one-child policy famously led to a gender imbalance of 116 men for every 100 women. Men outnumber women, meaning there are less wives and daughters to support older family members. Even the women who do have children are delayed, largely because women have increasingly been chasing careers rather than focusing exclusively on familiar duties. In the book Urban Chinese Daughters, Patricia O'Neill explains that women have become increasingly self-sufficient in China, yet have been unable to relinquish any caregiving responsibilities. It leaves them in an unfair, lose-lose situation. If they attempt to both work and act as a caregiver, they face poorer health, more stress at home, and are likelier to engage in riskier behaviors such as substance abuse. However, those who pursue the alternative by quitting their jobs altogether will extinguish their savings and may end up old and alone with nobody to care for them. The need to rethink gender roles pertaining to caregiving in China is above the scope in my episode, but again, I highly recommend the book Urban Chinese Daughters if you're interested in learning more. Due to the filial piety safety net, the Chinese haven't developed sufficient social welfare services for the elderly to the extent that they now need them. Yet this safety net is diminishing, as there's been less and less of a familial care system to fall back on. In my last episode, I emphasized that India faced a similar situation as children could no longer provide sufficient care alone. As was the case with India, the private sector in China has attempted to solve the issue with varying degrees of success. In the 1980s, 
developers in China started building senior housing, and there was a slow start. IEL was introduced in the 1990s, and Shanghai didn't have anything resembling an American SNF until 1998, when the Minxing House opened. The concept was unfamiliar, but occupancies in the high 90s demonstrated widespread acceptance and validated the model. They've also made progress to support aging in place. Social workers check in with the elderly to combat isolation and attend to medical problems. I think any senior living professional can admit that nobody aspires to move into a senior community, but they often do when a myriad of concerns arise and the benefits outweigh the costs. The thing is, China doesn't have the full senior housing infrastructure yet, especially outside of the urban areas. So any system that helps the Chinese age in place is doubly valuable there. I was surprised to learn that practically everything I've read and heard about has either been nursing care or independent living, specifically of the high-end variety. The focus has been more on the ends of the continuum of care, with little pertaining to AL and memory care in the middle. The potential market for high-end IL is substantial. LEK Consulting writes that 22 million Chinese seniors will be able to afford high-end IL by 2020. When Chinese seniors do enter various facilities, it can be partially attributed to marketing efforts that emphasize family. The book Home Design in an Aging World by Rosenfeld and Chapman emphasizes a 20-bed AL facility in Shenzhen, which is jointly run by a young couple. They utilize marketing materials that translates to come be part of my family. Personally, I think this join my family mantra would border on cheesy in the US, but this feeling of family is crucial to the Chinese approach. To quote Wid Chapman, this may not be filial piety, but it's the next best thing in a rapidly changing society. This differs from marketing efforts in a country like India, where these efforts were largely focused on educating the market. In China, it hasn't been so much about educating seniors about senior housing as much as it's been about reframing senior housing altogether. From what I've read, the Chinese are more familiar with old age homes than Indians, but that doesn't mean they view them favorably. A China Business Review article states that only 11.3% of urban seniors in China are open to institution-based care. They surmise that this number is shockingly low because of the institutionalized environment that most seniors visualize. All the more reason to sell the appeal of family. China's approach is surprisingly personal for a country that, combined with India, will host almost half of the world's 1.3 billion seniors by 2040. Residential environment has strong psychological implications for elders when they select their accommodations. A 2016 study about the factors that influence residential location in China cited main geographical factors that prospective residents considered including distance from friends, the presence of similar groups, distance from relatives, distance from the nearest hospital, and how noisy the environment is. As expected, certain factors rise with age. As seniors age and become frailer, they place increasing value in the distance from the nearest hospital. It's no secret that older adults generally prefer to retire close to where they now live and where their adult children are. However, the high cost of land of urban Chinese cities can complicate this approach for developers. As expected, developers can't come in with the same model used in the state. Besides all of the obvious stylistic and dining differences, Bill Pettit of Merrill Senior Living expanded on how the Chinese units are different. Merrill's Chinese units are smaller than their American counterparts, yet the communities themselves are larger, with 150 to 200 units of senior housing. 
In an interview conducted by Steve Moran, he emphasized the larger communities, highlighting one local competitor building a 2,500-unit community. Although only a portion is for older adults, and the majority will be geared towards younger families. I found this approach fascinating as well, and I think that it's a great example to show the creative approaches that will be needed in China. Another research study published in Habitat International explores how as Chinese retirees age, they begin to care less about convenience of culture activities, like access to educational institutions, as they instead factor comfort and the presence of loved ones to a greater extent. As China continues to gray, Developers have their hands full, with so many factors across a massive population, yet limited precedent. The situation is so unique, and there are experts on both sides of the spectrum, some shouting from the rooftops that China has an undersupply problem, and others shouting that China has an oversupply problem. Let's explore what the summary points, the counters, and the counters to those counters. So let's start with the more common narrative that China has an undersupply problem. Nolene Go, a director in capital markets at JLL's Asia-Pacific division, states that parents and children live great distances apart, and there's a growing upper-to-middle class which can afford these facilities. It's similar to the premise in India discussed in my last episode. There's an obvious need based off the demographics and immigration trends. One counter is that from the developer's perspective, it doesn't matter what the need is if people won't utilize senior living to satisfy that need. China's Ministry of Civil Affairs reported a 48% vacancy rate in senior beds in 2015, despite this immense need. A comprehensive study was done in 2015, and it detailed that half of China's roughly 7 million public care beds were built in the previous five years, and 20% of all senior living was built in 2015 specifically. This suggests that many properties were still in the lease-up stage when that 48% vacancy number was taken, which may deflate totals. But on the flip side, this need is supposedly so pronounced, why wouldn't people take advantage immediately? I have a theory that I can support qualitatively, but not quantitatively. Maybe it's because everybody is focusing on luxury senior living, meaning that the high-end supply is crowded, but overall the supply is still short. In other words, one end of the market could have oversupply, and the other end of the market could face undersupply. However, the next expert disproves my theory by focusing on general operator failure. Researchers from DVB published a report called China Senior Housing, an attractive trap. It's the most enlightening read I've found on the subject, and I highly recommend reading it. My main takeaway came from Carol Wu, their head of research. She claims, China has a shortage of senior home operators, not developers. Enough is being built but not enough people know how to manage the communities and the resident populations once they are completed. Wu continues to say, senior housing is more about service than building hardware. She advocates for mid to high end asset light properties that provide supplemental care in major cities as they provide the best returns. It's interesting that she touches on models as foreigners and domestic investors generally invest in very different ways. Domestic developers have focused on lifestyle-oriented, low-acuity senior living as the first investment. They understand the culture, and according to Benjamin Schobert, a Forbes expert on the subject, they tend to view IL as safer since they can always adapt to AL if the market dictates, whereas moving in the opposite direction is perceived as more capital-intensive. 
Foreign investors, on the other hand, have generally targeted higher acuity. They don't want to be lifestyle focused since they're at a disadvantage in understanding the culture. Plus, it's easier to sell the government on services leaning towards higher acuity care. Despite the different backgrounds and approaches, many senior living companies are being burned by low occupancy. Nonetheless, the government still believes the issue is one of undersupply rather than of novice operators. A 2017 article in the South China Morning Post confirms government backing, as the state council said the government will back private and foreign investment in the elder care industry and allocate more land for care institutions. Developers are being further encouraged to enter the market that everybody says is about to expand like crazy, yet many are still failing. It's so overcrowded in certain areas that many have abandoned projects before completion, and others are losing money on vacant units. Vanky, a huge player with over 100 communities, is not profiting. While presenting the company's 2016 financial results, the CEO said, To be honest, we haven't made any money. I have not seen any mainland company that has made profits from senior care, but we have to do this since Chinese society is aging rapidly. DBB analysts say investors overestimated the number of care institutions needed. At the end of 2015, they already had 4.7 care beds for every 100 people above age 65. For context, again, China has 4.7 beds for 100 over 65, and the U.S. has 5.9 beds for 100 people over age 65. Further, the Chinese government is targeting between 5.2 to 5.9 beds per 100 by 2020. Ken He, also from DDB, says the number of elder care beds has kept up exponential growth lately, leading to our concerns of a nationwide oversupply in the near future. Some surmise that older adults are staying home and relying on domestic helpers, given that labor costs are still relatively affordable. Others believe China needs subtle adjustments to add appeal. Quoting No Lean Go again, for instance, Asian retirees may want a larger space for family members to be able to stay over when they visit. The notion of having family able to stay over seems to be big in Asia generally. I'll expand on this in an upcoming Japan episode. However, I'll note that Vanky China, a jointly state and privately owned company that is among the biggest players in the space, already designs units with movable partitions that enable makeshift guest rooms, and they're currently not making money either. I think both extremes that I've been highlighting are best put by the following two quotes. Thomas Barnett, a strategist who has presented to President Obama and Chinese President Hu, stated that, quote, no country in the history of mankind will get as rich or as old as fast as China will. DVB, in turn, states that China's seniors are, quote, getting old before getting rich, meaning that they are unlikely to afford expensive care services in the same way that their Western counterparts do. For his part, expert Ben Schobert cautions not to view today's problems as a lack of opportunity down the road. The first generation of parents who are hindered by the one-child policy will soon be entering their 80s, which is the average age for entering senior communities in the U.S. It will be fascinating to see if they begin entering communities and validating the market's high supply. That's all for this episode about China's senior living background and current supply. Thanks for tuning in. 
and keep your eyes out for the next episode as I continue to cover interesting concepts in aging service.